Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hey, Nicole. Hey there, Shelly. How are you doing? Good, except for I miss seeing you in person. I miss you too. I know. Hard with our schedules. I know. It's hard to line up. You're busy. I'm busy. But this is like the kind of, we have the kind of friendship where we cannot talk to each other for months and then just pick up right where we left off. And I love that. Yeah. Yep. And I do. That's freaking cold our out. friendship. <laughs> Which I hate. I hate the cold so much. I do too. Um, this week our guest is Jen from Maternal Mental Health, and she's talking to us about postpartum mood disorders. Oh, very good. Did you have any, Nicole? I did. With my um last one, number five, I definitely struggled with intense postpartum anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had not experienced that with my previous four. Um, and it was, um, a, I will say that it was a very dark time of my life. I was mm-hmm. able to care for her and I physically, um, but I was constantly anxious. I thought something was going to happen to her. I didn't think I knew what I was doing. She was born, um, later than the other kids, there was a six and a half year gap, which isn't really a problem, but it felt like I did not know what I was doing. She also was a different baby than my other kids were. And, um, it was overwhelming. I didn't, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing, Mm -hmm. but I'm happy to say that it did, um, subside over time. I wish that I handled it differently, but how about yourself? Yeah, just after my first Brooke, yeah, where I did the same thing, like I took care of her, but that was like, I would, if she cried, I'd pick her up, I'd change her diaper, i feed her, and then I'd put her back down. Right. There wasn't like any extra interaction. Right. So I wish I had handled it. I wish I had gotten help sooner. It took me almost a year to finally right. admit that there was something wrong. Yeah. And I feel like that's a year I can never get back. Right. And you know what? And this is because like, this is because how my brain works. Every time like Brooke and I have an argument or she's upset about something, I immediately go back to that year. And I'm like, this is my fault because I did like the bare minimum to take care of you and nothing else. And so, yeah. (laughs) We blame ourselves and we do that. It's like the mother curse, but you know, it's just, it's, it's, she got love from you and it's our own, I, I think, in my opinion, is that our, our own guilt and shame in, um, unresolved feelings about our own anxieties and depression mm-hmm. that cloud our vision of how it was. Right. You know, right. Like because anxiety does. <laughs> right. And I don't, I don't blame my mom for my anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm if things are not going well in my life, it's not something that I'm like, oh my gosh, this is because my mom wasn't attentive enough when I was a baby. So I have to like remind myself of that. Right. 
Yeah. Totally agree. So let's start with our favorite of the week. Great. All right. Why don't you go first. All right. Um, well, since we're talking about um, these kinds of things, interestingly, I have felt fairly stressed out about um, the holidays and personal life stuff that's happening around the holidays and um, feeling a little overwhelmed about all of it. And I um, am somebody who believes in like as much help as you can possibly get in life. And one of the things mm -hmm. that I do is I go to um, Al-Anon and I go to it. I went for one reason three and a half years ago and I've learned that it's been the best thing for me. And when I'm anxious, I will a lot of the time um, say the serenity prayer out loud. Mm -hmm. um, I'm an auditory um, learner. I'm a verbal person and out loud works for me. And I will sometimes walk around the house just reciting it. And it really does take off the edge of anxiety and brings me to center. Um, and it might not mean that the anxiety is gone, but it helps take me off the ledge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you go to the meetings for like friends and family, right? I do. Yep. I yeah, remember I, you talked to, to me about that several times that it yeah. was really helpful for you. Yeah. I can honestly say that I don't even know that any person shouldn't do the program, at least, you know, go and work on it. I, I've said for three and a half years of being there weekly, I don't know why everybody is not here. It's, mm. it's the healthiest for me. What I have found, it's one of the healthiest avenues toward healing and healthy functional living that I've ever been exposed to. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank God I for it. I think I know the serenity prayer, but can you just say it in case? I will. It is God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought it was. That's yeah. what I was thinking of. Okay. And it just is like, all right, you know, that's huge, mm -hmm. you know, being able to have peace when you can't understand, you know, courage to change things that you can that are your responsibility and the wisdom to know the difference. Cause not everything is our responsibility to change. Not every problem is our responsibility to adopt, take on, absorb. Right. And it's really important to be able to differentiate for me anyway. Yeah. Kind of like the, not my circus, not my monkeys. Right. Right. Exactly. I love it. Mine is yeah. actually kind of similar, like similar thought process. I learned about this on a podcast that was about anxiety. Um, um, yep. And I forget, I forget off the top of my head who they were interviewing, but she was talking about how like sometimes for some people, anxiety can kind of paralyze you. Oh yeah, it sure can. Yeah. And I find that to be true for me. It's like, if I'm thinking about the things that I have to do, or I'm thinking about something that I don't want to do, or I will just try to avoid it by like staying in bed, like five more minutes, I'm going to hit the snooze five more minutes or, and this is a huge problem of mine. I will procrastinate by eating. By <laughs> what? Eating. I'm just right. 
I'll use food as a procrastinator, which is which is hugely terrible. But this person was saying, um, you know, if you're finding yourself paralyzed, you just count down to five. And when you hit five, you move. Ah. So whether that is getting out of bed or standing up from the table to go do what you're supposed to do or opening your computer or ripping off a Band-Aid or, you know, anything. Right. I like and that. If it's you like trying to calm yourself down, if you're feeling getting really anxious and you anxious, then you can count slower and just say, okay. Or if you're like upset and you're crying, mm-hmm. then you can just count slower and say, okay, I'm going to go five, four, three, two, one. And when I'm done, I'm going to stop crying and deal with the situation kind of thing. Right. Right. And I that have, reminds um, me when I was in some, um, a bunch of years ago when I was first going through my divorce and I had other stuff going on, I was trying in the middle when my husband and I, my um, ex-husband and I separated to get divorced. I had a teenager at home, a kid at home, and it was a lot. Mm -hmm. And I remember I would say to myself, I'm going to allow myself to feel this for five minutes. And I literally would watch the clock, even though I didn't want to, I forced myself to in five minutes. So I would suffer however I needed to, or feel what I needed to process when I needed to. And at five minutes, when that one alarm went off, I would force myself to do something physical. Couldn't just keep laying there. I would have to Mm -hmm. vacuum or throw in laundry or go for a walk or Mm -hmm. make a sandwich. I forced myself to physically have to move. And it really tremendously helped me. Right. Because it allows you to process your thoughts and your feelings and validate, like find validity in your thoughts and feelings, but not get overwhelmed by them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It only allows you to go so far down the rabbit hole before you pull yourself out. Mm -hmm. Because that rabbit hole is gravitational and wants to pull you in it. And it just, that's not helpful. Right. Yeah. Wow. Great minds think alike. We had similar ideas. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Right. Let's move on to our question of the week. Yes. So this one was submitted through Instagram. Um, the parent said, my milk tastes sour a couple hours after pumping. What could be happening? Hmm. So it sounds like there's two possibilities. One would be high lipase in your milk, or it would be oxidation. Oxidation. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Um, I don't know how to say it either. <laughs> <laughs> I swear there should, because there are some words that I have never said out loud, but I grew up reading them and I <laughs> like the pronunciation is not even close. I understand. Um, so one is high lipase in your milk. That often makes your milk taste more soapy than sour. So Mm -hmm. you'd have to decide whether you're thinking it's sour or soapy. It is safe for your baby to drink the milk and some babies don't care. Other babies object to it. So if you have high lipase, you'd want to scald your milk before freezing it or storing it. Right. If you have um, high oxidation in your milk, that's a little bit of a different story that might be related to the kind of water you have in your home that you're being mm-hmm. exposed to, or if you are taking a lot of um, like fish oil supplements, things with some rancid fats. So you'd mm-hmm. want to stay away from 
omega-3 oils as much as you can, but also take antioxidants like beta carotene. Mm -hmm. So I know there's a lot of good information about this on kellymom.com. So that would be a good resource that I would point you to. Mm -hmm. Very good. Okay. All right. So next up, we will be speaking with Jen. Excellent. Very good. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about one of the biggest obstacles that I see expecting in new families facing when they're having a baby, and that's lack of support and community. I know that having a baby can be overwhelming. There's so many resources out there. Some of them are better than others. You never quite know if you're getting the most updated evidence-based information, and also there's the lack of support. So that's why I created the Baby Pro Bistro. You can join the Baby Pro Bistro and get monthly support before and after your baby arrives. The Baby Pro Bistro provides you with all your prenatal and new parenting needs. So when you join, you get the prenatal childbirth education class, the prenatal breastfeeding class, the prenatal newborn care class, and the prenatal infant sleep education. You also get postpartum information like a starting solids webinar, community support, and expert speakers who talk on various subjects such as infant massage, and pelvic floor health. This week, I'm so happy that we have Jen Worth on for this week's episode. She is the founder of Mom's Maternal Health, and her passion is helping parents worry less, feel less alone, and feel more normal as they navigate parenthood. Welcome, Jen. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Sure. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I am a wife. I'm a mama to two little girls, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. I am a postpartum anxiety and depression survivor, a recently resigned first grade teacher from New Jersey. Um, And I started mom's maternal health after suffering from a very dark and difficult time in my life with postpartum anxiety and depression in hopes of sharing my story and, and helping others that may be experiencing similar things um, feel less alone and then quite hopefully give them the courage to seek help. Mm -hmm. Right. I feel like our society tries to like push maternal health under the rug and not really talk about it that much. Um, Although I think we are getting better, mostly to people like you who are willing to share their story and get the word out that like this is common and you're not alone. Here's how, how you can help um, yourself. But even when I had, I had postpartum depression after my first, and I didn't even realize what was going on because no one talked about it. And so it took me, you know, she was almost a year by the time I tried to get help. And the form of help I got was just going to my OB and he was just like, well, do you ever feel like you want to hurt your baby? And I was like, no. And he's like, okay, take these pills. And that was it. That was the end of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, it's so sad. Yeah. It's like tragic, right? How we treat families in, at least Mm -hmm. in the U S I'm sure it's better. There is no education um, or awareness really Mm -hmm. while we are pregnant before, you know, this stuff could happen and it, and it can happen during pregnancy as well. So I think that is why there's like a stigma placed on it. Why so many moms suffer in silence because it's just not spoken about and it's not like taught to us in all of the, the, um, doctor's appointments that we have while we're pregnant, right? Like that's a perfect time to spread that awareness. Um, And then I I sadly don't think that 
the our OBs are educated in it I, because I don't think they have to be, um, which is a right. major issue within itself. Right. And I also fear, you know, if you have a patient, if you're an OB and you have a patient, especially if they have a history of mood disorders, the bare minimum should be bringing it up with them and saying, you know, do you have a therapist that you're working with? Do you need a list of resources? That's like the bare minimum. It's not going to take you a lot of time as a provider, but even the bare minimum is something that can make a difference. Yeah, I agree. And I talked to so many moms that have said that like they've had a history of mental illness, either with themselves or in their family or something traumatic happened prior. And like I always say, did your doctor ask you about like your history? And a lot of them say no. So they're not even told it could be a risk factor because nobody like knew about that, right? If they weren't asked and maybe their doctor doesn't realize like what these risk factors are. And there's quite a few of them that just increases your chance of suffering. So then to me, it would tell me like, I need to have a plan in place. Like you said, have that therapist, right? Um, have my support and family know like, what are the signs and what can they do to help me if I start like, you know, developing these symptoms or not feeling like myself. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And the state of maternal health in the US is kind of atrocious where mm -hmm. so many parents are struggling. And I've seen anywhere like 46%, I think is the latest statistic I saw, 46% of parents suffer from postpartum mood disorders. Is that what the information that you have too? Yeah, I mean, on some things you'll see one in seven women, um, you'll see one in five women will experience maternal mental health illness. Um, I think that I think that it's honestly like more like one in three, sadly, because there's so many women that do not get help and they, um, they just continue to suffer in silence. So then those people are obviously not like part of that statistic, right? Um, sadly. So I think that's why we see a lot of like one in seven, one in five, because it's kind of like, we know there are many more, um, that are suffering and probably are not even realizing they're suffering, like you said, right? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, we know that about 80% of moms suffer with the baby blues, which the baby blues are very common. They are not one of the mood disorders. Um, it doesn't mean that you're going to suffer with a mood disorder, but knowing these statistics can certainly help a mom feel less alone when they are in that fourth trimester and they are struggling the first two to three weeks after giving birth, right? And again, it's just like that awareness isn't there and it's something that we don't talk about. Oftentimes moms have babies and society makes us think that like this is the best moment of our life and I'm in love with my baby and I'm the happiest I've ever been. And it's not always like that. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that you're a bad mom or you've done something wrong. Like quite often that bond is not there and it's not the most blissful moment. And that bond will come. All of those things will eventually come, but it's not like, who's going to go online and say like, I didn't, I'm not bonding with my baby. I don't, I'm like, I'm regretting like having a baby right now. This is not what I thought we don't say those things because they're hard to say, right? And we're afraid of what people are going to say about us or the judgment. Mm -hmm. 100%. I also feel like in addition to the shame that parents can feel if they, if they again, like feel like I'm supposed to be in the happiest moment of my life, but I feel like crap. 
that keeps them from getting help. But also I'm wondering what you, you think about this, like, because it's so common and we all know common does not mean normal, but because it's so common, sometimes the lines get blurred. Right. So like there are hundreds and thousands of parents out there who think that it's normal to pee their pants when they sneeze after having a baby. Well, it's not, it's just so common that it's become the norm when it's really not. And it's like a joke. It's like a joke, right? That like your mom and now you pee your pants when you, whatever, when you do a jumping jack. And I I was guilty of that until I started this page and have become close with, you know, lots of um, pelvic floor therapist people. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's not normal. It's Mm -hmm. not funny. It's not a joke. You don't have to live with that, right? Right. Right. So my concern is, do you think that that's playing a part too, where people are just starting to believe that it's normal? because it is so common. So it's not something that they get help for. I was just wondering what your thought is on that. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I have so many times and I'm, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a professional. I'm a mom that has suffered. And I, I truly believe that somebody that has lived through this, um, I'm, I'm an expert in living through this and coming out on the other side. And I've, I've learned so much and I research so much, but when moms say like, well, how do I know if I need to get help? And like, I always say, if you're asking someone that, then chances are mm-hmm. you do need to get help and it's, right. it's okay to get help. There is help out there. Right. Um, so I think there's like, it's just, these mood disorders are, it's a spectrum of disorders and symptoms. So it might be less severe for one person, whereas what I was dealing with, with these intrusive thoughts that were directed towards my baby. And I didn't want to be home by myself with her anymore. And it started to affect my sleep at night. And the list went on. Like I knew in my heart, something was wrong. I did not know what it was. I didn't think for a second it was postpartum depression. I never even heard of postpartum anxiety. I wasn't depressed. And I didn't even know what these horrible thoughts I was having. I felt like a monster. Um, And I knew, I knew that this was not normal. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, and I just was like embarrassed and ashamed to even admit these things to my husband, which is why I suffered in silence. But I feel like, you know, if it is less severe then yes, moms can probably just think that like, this is normal. Sometimes moms say that their OBs tell them like, this is normal part of motherhood and especially the fourth trimester, like to feel this way. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that like, I could see that, but then I also feel like we, our mama instincts are so strong and they're strong about ourselves too, that like, we know when something is not right, but we're afraid to admit that because of what society like makes us believe motherhood should be like, or our partners are, you know, we'll hear often of like, stop worrying. You're always worrying. And like, nobody wants to worry like that. Nobody wants to feel this way Mm -hmm. um, or be filled with like sadness and crying all the time. Like nobody wants that. Right. If I could just turn it off, I would. (laughs) Um, So it is, it is hard to like decipher the whole, um, is this just like a normal part? And we, and I hear that from moms all the time, but it's like, I feel like if you have to question if this is normal or not, then chances are it, it's it's not. And it's okay to like dig deeper and investigate that with some professional help. Mm-hmm. I do have families or parents, either I see this in like Facebook groups or 
or they tell me directly when I'm working with them, like, oh, I can't sleep at night because I'm afraid I have to watch my baby and make sure that they're breathing. Mm -hmm. And they'll post that like on Facebook. And then a bunch of moms will respond, oh, me too, me too. And sometimes they'll say like, oh, I called my pediatrician and they just keep telling me that I'm the typical new mom worry wart. So I feel like because what awareness we have around postpartum depression, we just think, oh, we're going to be sad. And that is what's so confusing because Mm -hmm. postpartum depression is the word that has been around forever, right? Like that's all our parents heard. And it's so much more than that. And it can be so confusing because Mm -hmm. not everybody feels depressed. I didn't feel depressed, which is Mm -hmm. why I was so confused at four months postpartum. Like what, what is this? Like, I'm not depressed. Mm -hmm. It led to a deep, dark depression just because I wasn't feeling like myself for so long. Um, But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's very confusing because we now know that there are several different mood disorders and it's not just depression anymore. Right. Right. Because then when I'm reading these posts and I'm hearing these stories, I'm like, okay, you may not feel sad, but it is not normal to not be able to sleep because you're too scared to stop watching your baby. But I see it being presented more and more as normal because- Because even when they feel like, okay, something might be wrong here and they reach out to their provider or to their pediatrician, they're being told like, you're just, you know, that's normal. You're a new mom. You're going to worry a lot. Again, it's just contributing to it being like swept under the rug and parents not being able to get help because they're being told that there isn't a problem. And I never felt depressed either. I just felt extremely disconnected. Like I couldn't, I didn't feel anything. Yeah. It was like a numbing. Um, Yeah. So Yeah. I mean, I hear the same things that like the women do get the courage to seek help, which takes so much strength. And then they're like dismissed by their OB with the example, like you just said. And like I said, that, that spectrum of like, yeah, you know, I put my baby to sleep and like, I worry and stuff. And you know, I, I go to bed. Right. Um, but if, your symptoms are interfering with your day-to-day life, right? And your sleep especially, then it's something more. It is not normal to be up all night staring at the monitor or watching your baby, counting the breaths. Like that's very common. I can tell you that so many moms struggle with that, but that is a major symptom of postpartum anxiety. Mm -hmm. And a lot of intrusive thoughts will come with that of like, well, what if, um, what if this, what if this happens at night? What if that, and then you become, become obsessed with it. Right. Um, and sleep deprivation plays a huge role in these mood disorders. So, um, I think that the important thing to note is that, and I remember it giving me all of the hope when I found this out, was that these mood disorders are temporary and treatable with professional help. Mm -hmm. They do not just go away on their own. Um, And everyone is so worthy of getting that help. Like it doesn't have to be like this forever. And the help may look different for everyone. So for someone that is suffering with something that is more mild, then maybe yoga and meditation and journaling or exercise Fresh air can be just what they need, right? But for other people that are dealing with something that is very severe and it's impacting their life and their family and their sleep, then maybe you do need something more. And that's okay. You can't compare what you're struggling with with somebody else because they just may be more mild. Um, And I say this all the time because 
a big pet peeve of mine is when people will say like in the comments, when I post about medication and it's not for everybody, but it absolutely is for people. And someone will say like, oh, I, you know, I just like, I want to take like the natural route. Um, and that's fine to each his own, but then like you're putting down the person that is choosing to take medication for their very severe symptoms, or maybe they're not even severe and that's just what they want. So I feel like we just need to have like less comparison and less judgment and everyone just do what they feel is best for them. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause everyone's brain is different. So treatment is going to look a little bit different for everybody. Yep. Um, why do you think our rates of postpartum mood disorders are so high to begin with? Like, why do so many of our parents struggle? Oh, gosh. Um, I will say, like, definitely there is a major lack, um, if I don't even think there's any, actually, of any type of education and awareness during pregnancy. So we can take baby classes and we can learn how to diaper and how to give our babies a bath and newborn care. Um, but there's no, like no education at all, at least that I have experienced or the many moms that I've talked to on, you know, these mood disorders and the true symptoms and what to do if you aren't feeling like yourself and how your, um, your partners can support you. So that's one major thing, right? Is that like, we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, and that awareness is key. Um, I also think that new moms, especially, they just don't have support. They do not have the support that is Mm -hmm. needed, especially in the fourth trimester, um, to, to help them like work through these struggles. Um, a six week checkup is not good enough because by six weeks, a mom could be struggling so much and maybe not even with a mood disorder or, you know, they're past the baby blues then, but the, there's just like a major lack of postpartum care for moms. Um, and it's like, we, we focus so much on them while they're pregnant, but then we completely forget about them once the baby's born and Mm -hmm. there is no like safe place for them to go or to connect with, to see like, is this normal or is this common? And a lot of it is, you know, just that I think that kind of leads to the mom suffering in silence and not wanting to be honest because it's never been brought up before. So those are like the two things that I think are just majorly, majorly lacking, um, Mm -hmm. especially the awareness. Right. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head, like the awareness, but especially the lack of support. And that's for all, all areas postpartum. Like we don't support feeding goals enough. We don't support pelvic floor care. We don't know. It's kind of, it's so discouraging. And I rant about it all the time on this podcast, but it's like, this is the primarily the reason why our parents struggle in all of these different areas is because of the lack of support. Cause our, our system just does not care about parents at all. Not no. for parents. It's not, it doesn't care about parents. No. And it, it's like, you're literally just like sent to go home and figure it out yourself. And that that's, a, you know, a great deal of motherhood is like figuring it out moment to moment, day by day. Right. Um, but I do feel that there is so much preparation that we can do while we're pregnant before we become a mom that can really help us set, set ourselves up for a more successful, um, 
postpartum experience, especially in the fourth trimester. That's just Mm -hmm. like so incredibly hard. You have sleep deprivation. You're trying to learn your baby. You're navigating formula feeding or breastfeeding or pumping and sleep. I mean, the list goes on, right? And we we are just constantly like looking for answers. So we take to Google and we go down that rabbit hole and um, we just kind of, we lack that support and like that community of like so much has to be said about, you know, finding another mom that had just commented on your post that says like, I'm struggling, like my baby's struggling with reflux too. And just to feel like I'm not the only one that's feeling this way or struggling with whatever the case may be. Right. Um, so like bringing those moms together, especially early on when you're not really around other people, right. It's just Mm -hmm. kind of like you and your baby. Right. Especially during a pandemic. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I will say with my second, when I got pregnant again, I did say to myself, like, I will never go down that path. And I did everything I could to prepare myself. I basically just assumed that I was going to develop depression again and did everything I could to prevent it. I even encapsulated my placenta, which is not backed in research at all. It was purely a placebo effect, but whatever. Yeah. Um, And it was a completely different experience, completely different, Um, just by preparing and having people lined up that I could call. Having people that I, you know, at least had one meeting with. So it's like, okay, we have a relationship established, you know, my background. Um, And I, um, the other thing we did was um, we held off visitors for a while Mm -hmm. because I was so overwhelmed with my first. There were people in my room, in my hospital room, two hours after I gave birth. And I was so like, what is going on? But this time we, I'm like, nope, no one can come over right now, drop off food and leave. And that made a huge difference too. Yes, I agree. Um, And I think like what blows my mind and I'm, I'm guilty of this. Like, why does it take us to suffer or struggle for us to then realize like, oh, we should be preparing for our postpartum. Like, yes, we want the room to be ready and we want all the registry stuff and the furniture, but like, what about us? Right. What, what is going to help us transition and make things easier? Those first few months. Right. Um, And I say that all the time, like I used to stink at accepting help and asking for help with my first, like, it's so silly, but it took me to hit rock bottom with my second to realize that like, I have a village of people that are willing to help me and I need to accept that help and ask for it when I need it. Mm -hmm. And now I'm, I'm much better, but I just don't know why as, as women, as moms, like, why do we have to like learn the hard way for us to realize the importance of something that would have been so valuable, like first, before the first time we became a mom. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about that because I, I see on your Instagram that you post a lot about the invisible and the invisible load of motherhood, you know, and you break it down to like into what working moms are dealing with and what stay at home moms are dealing with. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, about that invisible load? Yeah. So the invisible load or the mental load is like everything that is um, up in our brains that like nobody sees. Right. So it's, you know, I'll say, for example, um, that stay at home moms, for example, everyone thinks that like, you know, it's, it's the dream job, right. To be home with your kids and um, you get to do whatever you want and lounge on the couch and, It is not like that at all. Like I will say being a stay-at-home mom for me personally 
was way harder than any job I've ever held, like harder than my first grade teaching position, because you're never off, you're always on. And um, so I, you know, there's just like so much that goes on in our minds, so much planning and prepping that it's not just like, I have to bring the baby for her pediatrician appointment, right? It's what do I have to pack? What time do we have to leave? What if she has a blowout? What if she has a second blowout? Do I need two changes of clothes? Like, and then I have to go pick up my oldest. Like, this is all of the mental load that we carry that is invisible. People can't see this. Our partners can't see this. And it's a lot. It's heavy. It's overwhelming. Um, and that is where that, like, asking for help, accepting help can help with that load. So, um, I just heard this on a podcast the other day and um, I'm like blanking on the, I think it was pursuing her herself or something. Um, and they were saying that like, if you're going to like break up tasks with your partner, which is so helpful, especially postpartum, then they need to take on all of it, like mm-hmm. all of the mental load. So that's great that they're going to um, take you know, their, their child to gymnastics class, but then they need to take that whole mental and invisible load with them. So they need to be packing the bag. They need to be packing the snack and the water bottle because then that, that truly is how you're helping me take stuff off of my plate and out of like my mental load. Right. But with that, we also need to, um, allow others to do that. We need to Mm -hmm. give up that control of, yeah, they might make a mistake. They might forget the water bottle, but like, that's how they learn. And they're very, mm-hmm. very capable of doing so. Right. Um, so there is an invisible and mental load with like everything in motherhood, mm-hmm. whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a working mom, um, going away on vacation, like that is like a whole mental load within itself, right? That it's not just as simple as like packing stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why, Moms sometimes like they dread it and it might come across as like, you're not grateful. No, you're grateful, but it's also a lot. Right. Yeah. That, what you said reminded me of when I was taking, when I was in the postpartum depression and I felt like I hadn't, I felt numb. So I felt like I hadn't bonded with my baby. And there was one morning I had to take her to the pediatrician and I became obsessed over her outfit because I figured if I dress her a certain way, they're going to be able to see that I don't feel like bonded to her. So I was trying, I, I must've changed her outfit five times because I was like, does this look like the outfit of, for a baby whose mother adores her? And I was like, I don't know. It's too simple. So then I'd switch her out to like jeans and I switch her out to dress. And looking back, I'm like, that, that was so unhealthy <laughs> and like kind of weird too, but. Yes. And that's the thing. I think that like, when you say it out loud now, you're like, like what, why, you know, mm-hmm. but in the moment it's so real. Um, and it does mean something to you. And I think, um, I think motherhood understood post something, or maybe it was a repost of like a baby in an outfit that said like, my mom loves me or something. And she's like, I didn't want to dress my baby in that because I was having such a hard time bonding that I didn't feel like that love was there. And Mm -hmm. she felt so guilty for that. Right. Um, so even though like in the moment, it might seem so ridiculous, it is something that's so real and you need to like validate yourself. Um, but then also like when you look back on it now and it does seem ridiculous and like so silly in a way, it's just kind of like proof that you're, you're healed or you're healing and you've gotten past that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's a good point. The other issue that I see happening, at least in the U.S., is the lack of, like, even if you are aware of what you're going through and you are trying to reach out to get help, in many places, there's such a lack of resources. There's waiting lists to see therapists, things like that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, our healthcare system in general, like, there's just so many gaps, um, especially for mental health. And um, it's sad to me that insurance or the lack of, I guess, um, is a barrier for, for people to go to therapy, right? I think that if, if therapy was easily accessible and affordable, that so many more people would take advantage of that. And they would take advantage of it as a way to help them prepare, right? And prevent, be preventative, um, rather than just using it as like, um, the last resort when things get really bad, right? Whether it's with a mood disorder or something that's going on in your life, something with you and your partner. Um, And that makes me so sad because I will tell you when I was going through what I was going through and I was going to therapy weekly at a center at a hospital that just like dealt with moms that were going through things like this. And it was covered by my insurance and it was my lifeline, Mm -hmm. lifeline. And I don't know how I would have been able to heal as quick as I did, which wasn't quick, but I, it was quick. Um, if I didn't have that weekly, like intense therapy, because Mm -hmm. like what I pay for therapy now, because I'm past that year and I can't go to that center anymore. It's expensive. And it's an investment that's so very important because it's my life. It's my health. Um, But now I'm on maintenance. So I do it as needed and I can afford that, but I can't afford the price that I'm paying right now to go weekly, which is what Mm -hmm. I needed in those moments. So, you know, most insurances don't accept, or sorry, most therapists don't accept insurances. Um, and a lot of them will work with you on a sliding scale, Mm -hmm. which is very, very helpful. Um, and it's a starting point. So I always suggest like talking to people and seeing what, what they are able to accept and go from there. Um, because therapy, I think at the very least is, or should be like part of everybody's plan. Um, Mm -hmm. and, I also think that, yes, like you said, it needs to be easily accessible because especially during the pandemic, there have been so many wait lists um, and you like, you'll see lots of virtual therapy popping up, which is great because a lot of people don't want to, or can't leave their homes. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is definitely a resource um, and, you know, therapy takes some time. So it's like, you're building a relationship. So you may not jive with the, the person the first time you meet them. And that's okay. Give them, you know, a couple of times before you make that decision. And if it's not working, if it's not someone that you trust and feel safe just sharing everything with, it's okay to find someone else. Um, But therapy has been like life changing for me. And my only regret is like, why didn't anyone tell me that this could be helpful in life, even before suffering? Right. Right. Yeah. And I think if you are living in an area where, you know, maybe insurance does cover it, but, but there's a wait list, like in my area, there's a wait list anywhere from like six months to two years. It's, it's a huge problem in my area right now. Get, you know, find someone and get on a wait list during the pregnancy. Like as soon as you find out you're pregnant, especially if you have a history of mood disorders. And if you're not currently working with someone, find someone, hopefully someone who um, kind of specializes in the postpartum period too. 
but mm-hmm. get on their wait list right away. And if you, in the end, if you don't end up needing it, you just take yourself off the wait list. Or if they call you, you just say you can go to the next person, but yeah. it's really hard if you find out, okay, I really need help now. And you're calling and calling around for hours and everyone's like, I'm sorry, I can't see you for like another six months. That's the situation yeah. that you don't want to be in. And unfortunately, the only way, to, you know, it's on us, it's on new parents to kind of uh, fix the system that way by just getting on the wait list as soon as possible, anticipating the need. And then if you don't end up having that need, great, that's great. And then it, they can go to the next person. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And um Two sites that I always recommend to moms are Postpartum Support International because they have an entire directory of um, therapists and they all specialize in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, um, which I think is key because these mood disorders are very different than other mental health illnesses. Like they, mm-hmm. it is a mental health illness, but these are temporary and treatable. They are specific to a woman that is pregnant or postpartum or has gone through, you know, some kind of trauma or something. So they're going to understand things that other therapists might not. So um, I think that that is key. Um, and then an, another one that I always suggest is psychology today. Um, they have an amazing directory and they have therapists for everything, but then you can um, you can search for therapists that are in your area um, that do specialize in maternal mental health as well. And a lot of the therapists will have like a free consult, which is amazing. Um, and then the virtual therapy that I like is BetterHelp as well. And same thing, you are able to search for um, that's all virtual, but you're able to search for somebody that does specialize in perinatal mental health. Um, mm-hmm. and I really cannot stress that enough. Cause I feel like, um, these therapists, like they understand the stuff that you may be sharing with them and another therapist that doesn't specialize in it might take that information and, and be like alarmed by it. Whereas like my therapist that I met with the first time that I, that I found her, I'm sharing my whole story with her. And I remember saying to her, like, you should be reacting to what I just shared with you. Like this scary thought that I had about my daughter, like this is not normal and you're not even moving off of your seat. (laughs) And she was like, you're suffering with intrusive thoughts and they're a very common symptom. And she's like, you're no different than pretty much every single mom that comes into this office and sits in that chair. And like, that was so validating. And I'm not sure that I would have gotten that from just going to any therapist. Right. Yeah. I 100% agree. Mm -hmm. What about partners? Do partners have postpartum depression, postpartum mood disorders as well? Yeah. So it is um, right now they say it's about one in 10 partners suffer with postpartum depression Um, and similar symptoms. but a lot of theirs has to do with, um, can be like rage, frustration, um, drinking, like drug related, gambling, um, and then more of like the depressed of like sad, um, feeling like they're not bonding with the baby, which is very common, especially from a male's perspective. Um, and oftentimes dads suffer in silence or partners suffer in silence because they feel like what do I have to complain about or feel sad about, right? Like 
my partner just carried our baby and delivered our baby and is navigating all of this. Like I have no right. And that's so far from the truth. Like you're together, you're doing this together. And it is a lot. It's a lot on a relationship, especially with your first and those first couple of weeks, months, because you're navigating something that is so new that you're not prepared for. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's important for um, partners to know like those signs and symptoms so that you're able to seek help. And and same thing, you can go to a therapist for, for that as well, or even um, marriage counseling so that you can work at it together. So yes, very, not as common, but yeah, one in 10, which is, I think pretty eye-opening, right? Yeah. Pretty- and again, that's, that's like what's reported. Right. Cause I think, especially, you know, if your partner is cis male, there's a stigma for mental health um, disorders for everyone, but I think it runs a little deeper Mm -hmm. in from the male's perspective where, you know, if you end up having to be treated or or go to therapy, you might be viewed as weak by your friends and family members. So I think that you're right. It's probably much more underreported because they don't want to admit that they have a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And can you go over, like, I know we touched on it briefly before, but what exactly is the difference between baby blues and postpartum mood disorder? Yeah. So the baby blues are um, symptoms that are not as severe, but they will typically, if they're going to show up, they will show up about after birth until around two to three weeks. Um, And it could be not feeling like yourself, overwhelmed, crying, um, frustrated, feeling just like sadness, but then also like moments later feeling like so happy, um, difficult time bonding with your baby. Um, So yeah, that only lasts two to three weeks. And if your symptoms are lasting longer than that, it's not the baby blues anymore. And that's okay. It's okay that it's possibly turned into something more like a mood disorder, because again, there is help. And baby blues do not just like pop up when you're three months postpartum, like that's a mood disorder. Um, And they are, like I said, not nearly as severe where it's like affecting you like moment by moment, um, or maybe one day, but not the next. Whereas the mood disorders, like, you know, something's not right. It's not normal. And it is starting to affect you as a mom, as a family, like your mind, your, your sleep, um, things like that. So, and then just some facts about the mood disorders is that they can occur during pregnancy, like I said, and or postpartum. Um, they can occur anytime postpartum. So I myself thought like, it only happens. Postpartum depression only happens after you, like right after you have a baby. Mm-hmm. Not true. It can happen anytime. Um, up until a year, they say, but it certainly can go way past a year if it's left untreated or undiagnosed. So, for example, I did not have anything until I was four, four and a half months postpartum with my second baby. And out of nowhere, this horrible, scary, intrusive thought came over me. And that was it. I became obsessed with this thought. And that was at four months postpartum. Um, So I think like when I talk about awareness, that is so important for someone to know so that if they are six months postpartum and they're feeling these symptoms, um, they're able to say, I know that this can happen anytime postpartum. Like Mm -hmm. even though I've been feeling great for the past five months. Um, 
it can happen to anyone. It does not discriminate. Nobody is immune to it. So even if you don't have any risk factors, like you're normally a very happy, outgoing person, um, it doesn't matter. And um, what are some other ones on here? I have something pulled up. Um, it can happen with any pregnancy, as I mentioned. So I did not, I definitely had the baby blues with my first, mm-hmm. um, but that was it. And it went away. Um, baby blues do go away on their own. But yeah, this was with my second pregnancy. So just like every pregnancy is different, um, every postpartum is different as well. So it doesn't mean that just because I didn't have it with my first, that it can't be what I'm feeling with my second. Um, like I said, it can appear different on everyone. There are so many different symptoms. Not everybody has the same symptoms. Rage is a very common symptom. So confusing. Like, why would anyone think being rageful mm-hmm. has to do with postpartum anxiety? But it's a such a common sneaky symptom. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it can look different. I did not have the rage. Mine was more of the intrusive thoughts. That was my biggest symptom. Um, and so I think that it's important, like not to compare your symptoms to someone else's and then like invalidate yourself or dismiss yourself and your symptoms. Um, so the different mood disorders are the depression, the anxiety, bipolar, PTSD, which is very common, especially after a traumatic birth, traumatic pregnancy, Mm -hmm. something traumatic that has happened in your life. Um, OCD, which is really what I had because my anxiety, like I began obsessing over this intrusive thought. Um, And then there's postpartum psychosis, which is a medical emergency. Um, Like I said, the mood disorders are temporary and treatable with professional help and support. Um, There's a ton of risk factors which are important to know just because it does increase your chance. So I now know that if I was to have another child, I have an increased chance of suffering again. But like you had said with your second, like I would be putting a plan in place um, for myself. So that is like the biggest difference between the mood disorders and um, the baby blues. The baby blues will go away on their own typically. The mood disorders will not. Um, I hear from some women that are like, could I still be suffering with this? My baby's three years old. Um, You can, especially Mm -hmm. if you've been dealing with this since they were a baby and you haven't done anything about it. And Mm -hmm. it maybe it is more mild. So you've just kind of like been brushing it under the rug, like you said, because you've had like a couple of good days or it's not like truly impacting your life. But do you like the way you feel? Um, Because you can get you back. Mm -hmm. I love that you can get you back. What would be one thing that you'd want all parents to know? Um, I would say to prepare yourself as best as you can for parenthood. Um, And oftentimes the things that we don't prepare for are the things that we need to prepare ourselves for. Um, That can just make that experience go a lot smoother, a lot less overwhelming. um, And that motherhood is not easy. I think that we need to like stop making it seem like it's easy and it's always beautiful because it's not. Motherhood's really, really hard and it's it's okay to admit that it's hard um, and also admit that it's very special and it's beautiful and it's something that you love. But by saying things like, I didn't bond with my baby or I'm not loving the newborn stage. It doesn't mean that you don't love motherhood or that you don't love being a mom or that you're not grateful. Um, There's a lot going on postpartum, especially with our hormones. So 
Um, I just always say like, we need more honesty. Moms need to know that these feelings and these thoughts and these experiences are very, very common. And some of them are very normal. Um, but to, you know, to go into it, knowing that it's hard and you're, mm-hmm. you're going to work through it day by day. Um, but prepare that support, ask for help, accept help. Um, and don't be afraid to reach out for help. Love it. 100%. Where can families find you if they want to connect with you? What do you, what do you offer families? Tell us a little bit about that. So on Instagram, I am at mom's maternal health. My email is hello at mom's maternal health. And for the past year, a little over a year now that I've started my page, um, I don't have any offerings other than me just creating content, which is like really easy for me because I literally take stuff that I feel an experience or I have felt when I was like a new mom, first time mom. Um, and I spend so much time in my DMs connecting to moms and just validating them and supporting them. Um, So those are my current offerings. However, I am in the midst of creating a um, a mama community, a membership only community of moms that is individualized and personalized to their needs and their struggles with experts and guest speakers like yourself on um, all different topics. So very different than a Facebook group, which I have like a love-hate relationship for because I feel like that community piece is lacking. And I think that that's so important in motherhood Mm -hmm. um, is to like really come together and connect with one another while also getting answers and support. Um, So it's just going to do exactly that, bring moms together. Um, But the content within the, the membership is going to be about like what they need. So if there are no mamas currently struggling with breastfeeding, then I'm not going to have an expert come on and talk about breastfeeding or myself, Mm -hmm. like, and my, um, my experiences with breastfeeding. So I think that is like, kind of like the basis of it is that it's, it's very personalized to what mamas need by also, um, with also creating that community that can help moms feel less alone and just feel more supported. Mm -hmm. So that will be coming out soon. (laughs) Sounds amazing. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. I'm really, really excited. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. This is such an important topic. It's definitely not talked about enough. And I'm so happy that there's people like you out there trying to change things for the better for, for new moms. Yes. Thank you so much. And yeah, same to you. I learned so much from your page as well. (laughs) Have a good day, Jen. You too. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaffIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaffIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.